Hello and welcome to Boil Down. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Orla Director of Government Affairs. And joining me today from the Orla team is Lori Little, Director of Communications. Hi, Lori. Hey, Greg. Good morning. What's new in your life? Oh, lots of things new. Actually, it's a pretty exciting day for me because I am a soccer fan. The Women's World Cup Soccer just had their match against Spain and they won 2-1. to one. So excited about them moving on to quarterfinals. Well, and I know there's a local connection as well with the women's soccer team. Is that right? From the United States. Oh, definitely. Well, um, here, very local. Uh, we have actually three of those players went to University of Portland. And I'm also a proud alumna from that school. So fun to watch them. Go Pilots. Go Pilots, All definitely. Right. All right. Well, today we do have a great interview. Um, I don't know if he's a pilot or not, but uh, we get into common failure points that present opportunities for success with Chris Nordyke of Summit Cleaning and Restoration. But first, we want to make sure you're getting the most out of your membership. And to help you do that, we like to highlight a benefit you may or may not be aware of. Did you know members get up to 80% off manufacturer's suggested list price at Office Depot? Orla members receive big discounts on hundreds of frequently ordered products, and members can create a customized list of additional items using the same steep discount. There are even discounts for your employees. So learn more about this awesome member program. Go to OregonRLA.org slash Office Depot. If you're not a member, visit OregonRLA.org where you can join and start taking advantage of the many growing benefits. All right. Now I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Chris Nordyke, Vice President of Business Development and Strategy and Orla Liaison from Summit Cleaning and Restoration, a disaster restoration and facility services firm. Welcome to Boil Down, Chris. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Well, thanks for joining us. So today we're going to be talking about uh, turning micro disappointments into macro delights. Now, is a micro disappointment anything like a micro aggression? Is that a... (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know what's funny about that is I actually have thought about that framework a lot. Is there similarity? And that's something I'm still processing. But yeah, I think I think people will notice uh, some alignment with that idea, albeit, you know, I think there's a negative connotation for some people sure. with this whole idea of microaggressions. And I think people <laughs> will find that uh, the idea of micro events is much more accessible for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think anytime I hear micro, that's where my, my mind where first goes. goes. Yeah, so, right. yeah. Well, so Chris, if you can just tell us a little bit about your background and why a guy who's in the disaster restoration service field is talking about guest experiences. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it goes way back. So in a previous life, I was a state farm agent and, uh, so I own my own agency and around that time, let's see, it was 2005, 2006. It was kind of as all of these different social platforms were coming to bear. Yelp was actually a big new platform. Mm-hmm. And I had a Yelp profile as a State Farm agent. I was very aware of it and conscious of it because in the early days, people were, it was a thing. People were talking about it and then sharing their Yelp reviews sure. on their Facebook profile and all that kind of stuff. And so as a small business owner, I was very sensitive to it. I still remember my very first bad review on Yelp and, and how that felt. <laughs> that sticks with you. When you own a business, you know. And I was actually, so with that in mind, having experienced that and realizing, boy, I need to be in front of this. I need to not just react, but as a business owner, I've got to really get my head around all these social platforms and understand how to use it. Uh, myself and a few other business owners, we formed this thing. This was down in Corvallis. Uh, called the Social Media Brigade. <laughs> and and essentially we formed it, we would meet a couple times a month and we would essentially, we would review each other's businesses. One is just kind of practice mm-hmm. and also to help each other get some presence out there. So uh, we were doing business with one another and we would also do flash mobs. We would organize flash mobs for other local uh, businesses, retail and service businesses. And uh, through that experience, um, I just... I just started to feel this kind of deep passion for um, what it what it means to create experiences for people and um, 
and and how and I think I developed a sensitivity. I, I used to call myself sort of a prosumer because I'd go into a restaurant or I'd go in to buy a shirt at Peak Sports or you know one of these local retail businesses. Mm-hmm. And the more I thought about my own service experience as a business owner, the more sensitive I became to my experience as a customer. And it just kind of started there, right? And then it was reading books uh, and. And then subsequently listening to podcasts and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you just sort of feed those passions. And, and um, so that's – and I've also owned other small businesses. And when you're the owner of a business, you're the last one to get paid. And you only get paid when customers buy your stuff. Yeah. And I think if you let it, that can be the best training ground for customer experience that you can ever get anywhere else is just that sensitivity of, I know that my livelihood depends on great customer experience. And so that really drove me over the years as well. Yeah. So heard you're a bit of a Ritz-Carlton nerd. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What's your yeah. experience there? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny about that. Um, prior to going to Ritz-Carlton, um, I, I'd never, I wasn't even really all that familiar with it, to be honest. The, my only exposure to Ritz-Carlton was, again, just being kind of a customer experience nerd, you know, as a state farm agent. And prior to that, I was, I owned a small business called Rapid Refill Inc., where we remanufactured ink cartridges and laser toners and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I just read an article. In fact, I was trying to look it up this morning. I think it was originally a Forbes article about Ritz-Carlton. Um, they were interviewing the, at the time, COO of the company. And I just remember being so struck by this idea of a large company like Ritz-Carlton with 40 or 50,000 global employees, their empowerment policy. And for those of you that haven't heard about it, right, Ritz-Carlton is somewhat famous for the fact that they empower all of their employees from a day porter that's sweeping in a lobby to the general manager of their hotels to spend up to $2,000 per guest Per stay. Yeah. So when you are empowering your employees, you're really letting them take ownership of the the service piece of that. Yeah. Well, and and I think so when I read that article, I just started Googling Ritz Carlton because I was so curious. Like, how do you pull this off in a in a practice? like how does a business pull it off practically, right? Because giving employees that uh, freedom to do that comes with a lot of responsibility and like, how does Ritz Carlton manage this? I mean, you'd think that employees would just be willy nilly, you know, (laughs) buying stuff for guests and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And so it it just really sparked my curiosity about how do they pull that off? And, and again, I'm, I'm a state farm agent. I've got three or four employees that work with me and work with my policyholders and my customers. And, um, one of the things that that article turned me on to was this idea of customer lifetime value. And so marketers understand this really deeply, right? It's, it's this, how much is a customer worth to me over the probable lifetime of that customer interaction with me? And when I started to think about that relative to my business, the opportunities just kept jumping out at me. Like there are all kinds of things that I can afford to do um, and I can afford to resource my team to do as a state farm agent because the lifetime value of my clients is so huge. Mm-hmm. I could, I had all the data in front of me as an agent where I knew exactly what my average household was, the average commissions I made off every single customer household. I had all this kind of stuff. And so then my mind started spinning out. Well, man, all the different ways I could set up my business, not just give stuff away, but what kinds of authority and control could I give my team to be able to make decisions on the spot while they're in the middle of interactions with our clients. Um, and it just kind of built from there. And so every subsequent business I've been in, I spent some time consulting with other companies after I left state farm. Um, like I said, um, I've owned other small businesses and, and I just found it was a very inspiring place for me to start, which is how can I empower my team to create extraordinary experiences? And, um, that customer lifetime value though is an important piece for I think businesses all to figure out, and it's and it's kind of a moving target too, um, depending on what kind of business you're in. Well, we've talked on this podcast before about workforce development and how important it is, and you know when you've got employees and coworkers that that 
want to be a part of the company. I have to imagine that this is one of those things that can kind of help an employee feel bound to that company. As, as Lori said, you know, feel like you have some ownership uh, more than just taking home a paycheck. I mean, have you found that to be true that your employees become more invested in what they're doing and who they're doing it with? Without a doubt. Yeah. So, you know, at Summit, we're in the construction industry, essentially. Um, and the construction industry is not known, one, for longevity, uh, two, for workplace morale, uh, three, it's not known for customer experience on really any level. Uh, and it's really also not known for employee satisfaction and job satisfaction, right? And we, so I... Fast forward, right? So my first interaction with Ritz-Carlton happened when I was a State Farm agent in 2006 or something like that. Fast forward to my experience starting work with Summit. I first started with Summit as a consultant. Uh, the owners are old family friends of mine. They reached out to me at one point. They were like, hey, can you come help us with marketing? Do you do any marketing consulting? I said, yeah, sure. And one of the first things I saw is there was this inherent desire on the part of the team when I first met everybody uh, that had a ring of hospitality to it. You know, just little stories I was hearing about customer experiences and stuff like that. Where I'm like, man, there's there's something special going on here. And then I remembered back to that story about Ritz-Carlton and I thought, gosh, there's something that we could do here. And so I remember when I came on full-time at Summit, one of the stipulations of my offer letter that I, I countered with Brian and Angie, who are the owners, is I said, I want you this year, I started in October, I said, this year I want to go down to the Ritz-Carlton Leadership Institute to one of their classes because I want to see how we could potentially apply this to our business. Even mm -hmm. though it seems really weird, right? The construction business, what does it have to do with hospitality? But I think it just all comes down to customer experience, sure. right? And uh, Cool. Did you actually get to stay at a Ritz-Carlton? Yeah, in Marina Del Rey. It was an incredible experience. And, and I, I think it just affirmed for me when I was down there that what Ritz-Carlton is doing is not at all unique to the hotel experience. It, it really is um, a strategy that anybody can deploy. And, and I felt really confident coming back from that. In fact, uh, I met with the owners of our company a week later and I said, hey, I got to talk to you about something. And I just presented to them uh, essentially us rolling out a Ritz program within Summit and uh, and it's modeled perfectly after how Ritz Carlton does. I totally stole the entire idea from Ritz. <laughs> in we, marketing, we call that transplanting. Yeah, that's way. right. Yeah. yeah. We imitated every aspect of the program down to uh, Ritz Carlton as part of their morning lineup. Every single department at a hotel property uh, has a morning lineup where all the ladies and gentlemen right, gather together and they follow a really tight formula every single day. And one of those uh, aspects is they have what they call a credo card. And the credo card has essentially all of the um, axioms and values and principles that uh, Ritz-Carlton aspires to live by. And it describes the kind of experience that they aspire to create for guests, other ladies and gentlemen, right? And we created a credo card. We literally copied every aspect of it except for the content. So we, we embedded our own, you know, values and principles and uh, that kind of stuff. But uh, I presented all this to Brian and Angie, half thinking, okay, we're in the construction business, Nordyke. I'm talking to myself. I'm like... Mm -hmm. There, there, it's unlikely that an owner of a company our size, which had about 25, 30 employees at the time, is going to go for this. I was not pitching a $2,000 limit. It was like, <laughs> hey, let's start with $250, you know, sort of threshold. Uh, and at the time, to my surprise, Brian and Angie looked at each other for a moment and they're like, oh, we love it. This, this mm -hmm. is exactly what we're about. Let's go for it. And a week later, she had our, our company's bank issue credit cards to every single one of our 20, at the time, 25, 26 employees. Uh, and that was almost five years ago. Wow. And it's been, uh, it's been really interesting to see uh, the types of stories that have you know, flown out of that um, that I, I don't think would have happened. And it's not because our team didn't have the motivation or the spirit of it, but think about it, you know, if you've got a frontline employee team member that 
you know, might make $12 an hour, $13 an hour. Um, they may have the desire to do something special for a customer, even if it's just something that they overhear that their favorite candy is peanut butter M&Ms. Sure. They may have the desire to go on their break to the nearby grocery store and buy that $6 bag of M&Ms to fill a bowl, you know, in the, in the, in the guest room or something like that. But when you make 12 or $13 an hour, spending money for a customer, yeah. it, it just, it, it isn't necessarily part of your, your paradigm. Right. You know, and, and you literally, some people that have families and are trying to survive on a entry level wage job, they, they may not have that $6 yeah. to spend. Right. There's a little barrier there. There's, there's a bit of a barrier. There's mental friction. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what we found is that, uh, the Ritz program they rolled out, it, it took away that friction and it just enabled people to act out of their best self, you know. But it sounds like this this Ritz model, though, really can be applied to different industries, not just hotels. I mean, a, a restaurant could do it as well. It may be, you know, a, a much smaller little thing that they could do uh, to make a customer happy. But uh, it's that idea of, you know, following a credo, and that also kind of builds and feeds into the company culture, right? Yeah. Well, one of my favorite Ritz-Carlton stories that I stumbled across, and I can't remember if I heard this on a podcast or I read it in an article somewhere. I was trying to find it this morning, actually, but maybe we can leave it in the podcast notes if I can find it. <laughs> but but it was the story of a husband and wife, older couple, that were traveling to Ritz-Carlton in Dubai, uh, which is an unbelievable-looking property, if you go Google it. Mm-hmm. Um this husband, wife, wife was wheelchair bound. I don't remember the condition. I don't know if they said, but uh, they're there for their anniversary. And one of the wait staff in the on-site restaurant somehow overheard the husband and wife talking about, gosh, I wish the wife was like, I wish somehow I could get my wheelchair out onto the, the beach so I could dangle my feet in the water. You know, we could go out on the beach together and this particular property didn't have a boardwalk or really any way to actually get out into the surf. You know, you could go up to the beach side, but you're kind of a hundred feet back or whatever, right? Somebody heard that and then communicated that to their team. And one thing led to another, the maintenance department said, somehow they got wind of this and they said, you know what? We have a whole bunch of two by fours and stuff from a repair project we just did on site. We could we can put something together here. So that maintenance supervisor went to his team on their lunch break and just said, Hey guys, let's do this. They grabbed the, all that spare lumber and cut it up in their workshop. So there was virtually no cost. There was some, some time cost, but these guys gave up their break to go yeah. work on this project together. Mm-hmm. And imagine when you think about it, that's really fun. Like most of us would be happy to give up our lunch break to be able to create an amazing experience for somebody. There's mm-hmm. joy in that, right? Sure. And so they went to the wood shop, they took all these spare scraps and stuff, and they essentially created a temporary boardwalk that nice. she could roll her wheelchair out across. But then that didn't stop there. And there was some money investment in this. They talked to the food and beverage people and told them the story. And the maintenance people were like, here's what we did. The food and beverage people uh, go nuts with it. And they decided to take one of their event tents and set it up at the end of the boardwalk right (laughs) on the beach. And then food and beverage was like, you know what? We could do this. And they essentially set up a beach side dinner, anniversary dinner for this couple. Mm. And then somebody, probably the director of rooms or someone coordinated to leave a little invitation in their guest room. And, and so what did that cost Ritz Carlton? Who knows? I mean, the dinner component, maybe a couple hundred dollars in food and labor. Sure. Right. Uh, but they'll be talking about it for years. Well, we're talking about it now. And the, and the humanity (laughs) of it, I think sometimes that we, we forget is that what did that do for the ladies and gentlemen of Ritz Carlton to be able to create that kind of experience for people. And I think that has been as big of a consequence of our Ritz program is what it does for how we see ourselves. Yeah. Like, you know, as team members, as team members mm-hmm. and, and our role in creating these experiences for other people, I'm convinced just philosophically that all of us have this innate desire to give and to receive. Like, there's something really primal in us. When somebody gives us an amazing experience or gives us something really thoughtful, it touches us in a really deep way. And in the same way, when we're able to give something to other people, 
uh, that also touches us in a very similar way. And I, so I can just imagine what those, the maintenance team and the food, but I imagine there was just this really awesome energy, right, that came out mm-hmm. of creating that experience for them. And it was worth way more than 200 bucks for the staff. Sure. It's like we yeah. all spend tons of money as companies doing these offsite team building things and kind of kooky mm-hmm. games and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and that works and it's good, but probably not as good as coming together to create something like that for someone else, you know? Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Well, uh, Chris, real briefly before we go to our, our break here, um, you've talked about uh, the term full chain guest experience in the past. And, and can you tell us a little bit about, you know, where that term came from and what do you mean by it? What, what does that mean, full chain? Yeah, so I think in this day and age with the internet, uh, I hesitate to say I came up with the idea because there's so much information out there, right? Like I probably I may have read the term somewhere, uh, but I, I think I came up with it. And, and what I was really trying to do with that label, it just helps me think about customer experience in a in a bigger way. And uh, it's this idea that guest experience or customer experience does not begin the moment somebody sets foot in your business. I think it's a common error that I've made in the past, and I think a lot of business operators and leaders make, is that we tend to think of very narrowly about guest experience or customer experience. It really starts with the very first impression that that person has had with your brand. It could be online. It could be online. In fact, it's likely online mm-hmm. today, right? Especially with a higher dollar purchase, right? We may not go online before we buy a hot dog at a hot dog stand, but when we're planning to go out to dinner to a meal or take somebody something, right? A lot of us will start by checking Yelp. Sure. Like it or not, you know, as business owners and I've, I've felt both reactions, you know, to Yelp myself. Uh, but that's where a lot of us go. And a lot of times that's the very first impression is something that you as a business owner did not create and put out there. Someone else put out there about your brand for you. Um, and so it's it full chain, Guest experience is really a framework for looking at the entire end-to-end experience that a person has with your brand. And often that starts with somebody else saying something about you. Sometimes it's an online booking of a hotel room at an OTA or through an OTA. Um, Other times it's uh, a first experience as a business person, say using the hotel example, uh, attending a conference or workshop or lunch and learn in one of your event spaces uh, at your property, and then later coming back around to come uh, book a room for a leisure trip or for another business trip they have because of that first experience. So the first experience was not when they were getting ready to plan that trip or vacation. It was when they happened to be at a workshop that was located at your property. Um, so that's that's kind of the sense. And, and that also, micro events, the concept of micro events is really built around that idea is that all along that chain, whether you realize it or not, whether the person is on property or not, they're in your retail store or not, there are micro events happening along that entire chain that affect how a customer perceives you. And so I think it's the, what it points people towards is this awareness that every single interaction and impression that a customer has of our brand, it's, um, it's an event and it's, it's creating an overall, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Perception, mm-hmm. um, that we, whether you like it or not, it's happening, right? Each event is like an impression. It is. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about micro events along the, the, the guest experience chain is that oftentimes when people experience micro events, they are not actually conscious. A lot of times it's a subconscious feeling, but it, it adds layer on layer until at the end of that experience with your brand, whether it's a hotel or a restaurant or in our case, a service business, uh, it creates a macro impression. Uh, and so being conscious and aware of all these little micro events that happen across the experience chain um, gives you some control over what that final impression is. Um, and so I, when I, I really started developing this idea as a State Farm agent. And it came from when I read that article with Forbes and so forth. I just kind of done this deep dive into how do I create and manage um, uh, customer experience in a way that creates positive, you know, positive results. 
We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about micro-events and micro-disappointments. People in Oregon care about food and wine. That's why we started Bitcork. Bitcork is a new type of wine distributor designed only for restaurants. With Bitcork's competitive pricing and no order minimums, we make ordering wine a breeze. Order on the Bitcork app and get your wine delivered same day, even on Saturday or Sunday. Payment by fintech or check on delivery. If you're in the Portland metro and have an OLCC on-premise permit, go to bitcork.io to claim your restaurant, request samples, and find out more. Bitcork, helping restaurants buy artisan wine one bottle at a time. Oregon is known for its vibrant and innovative food scene. As food professionals, we celebrate the richness of our natural resources, but truly cherishing our food means not wasting it. We have the power to eliminate food waste. From ordering just enough to using tip to tail and root to leaf, we show our colleagues and customers what's really possible and delicious. The good news is there's free support available to help your business get started. Visit foodwastestopswithme.org today to schedule an appointment with a waste reduction specialist. They'll help you evaluate your current practices, identify areas where you can reduce waste in your kitchen, and provide you with on-site staff training and educational resources. Go to foodwastestopswithme.org to schedule your appointment and start reducing food waste in your kitchen today. Right, Chris, so we were talking before the break about these micro-events. And why do you call them micro-events and not just events or impressions? Yeah, no, the, the reason for that is as business people, you'd have to live under a rock to not be familiar with the major disappointments that happen in a service experience. You know, things like lying, right? Like any time you have an employee uh, in your business that lies to a customer, right? that's a major disappointment. Like, and a true bait-and-switch Right. Uh, as an example, or uh, a person not showing up when they told a customer they would show up, you know, those kind of things. Right. We're all aware of the major disappointments, but I think uh, oftentimes the little disappointments um, can slip off our radar and we can be unaware uh, and members of our team can be unaware. And so that's why I call them micro disappointments, because what I've observed over the last 10, 15 years of owning businesses and, and leading businesses is that it, it's rarely the major disappointments that kill a customer or guest experience. It's the little ones that go unnoticed and uh, that ultimately build up to a negative impression. And, and here's one example in our business. So we're, we're in a really tricky business. And those of you who've ever had like your home remodeled, you've had any interaction in the construction industry, there's so many moving parts. You've got materials that can be on back order unexpectedly. You've got, you know, shortage of labor. And it's just, there's so many hard things to the construction business. And every once in a while, at the very end of a project, when we're, we typically provide a customer satisfaction or a, a certificate of satisfaction, it's just one of these forms that you typically fill out at the end, we'll get surprised. We'll get a, a, a customer that you know writes down a bunch of negative stuff at the very end of the project, and it catches us off guard. And it's like, how did that happen? How are we so dense that we missed that? And when we look back over the project notes, and we also interview the customer in more depth, what we often realize is there was a series of these small, subtle disappointments along the way that the customer felt bad complaining about. And this is a very common uh, psychodynamic with customers is that most of us are really hesitant to complain. Sometimes as a business owner, when you look at your Yelp reviews, especially if you're a restaurant owner, this is particularly emotional. Yeah. All you see is just those negative reviews or those three stars, those mediocre reviews just leaping out at you because it's so not what you aspire to, and yet it is what it is. Uh, we, we tend to not realize all those small little things that add up overall to this very negative impression at the end. And so that's why we call them micro disappointments is they are th they're little things that you really got to watch for because people may not say anything about it in the moment. Right, but part of this also is a difference in expectations, wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? I mean, the customer may have certain ex expectations that you maybe didn't think were as important to the job, maybe? Yeah. 
and, and that you hit on one of one of the micro disappointments that I think is very, very, very common is what I've called dissonance. Dissonance, right, is 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 the difference between two different things, and I think this happens a lot in service delivery. Let me give you an example. So. I think one of the most common points of dissonance in a service experience is when a friend refers you to a hotel or restaurant. Think about the last time somebody referred you to something and how effusive they were with their praise about the steak at this place. Oh, you know, or, oh my gosh, you have to try this when you go because it's so amazing, the, right? The service was awesome. That oh, day. the service was just over-the-top amazing, mm-hmm. and they even tell you a personalized story about it. And you're coming in. You, I mean, how can you not do that thing that your friend was just exploding mm-hmm. over? Um, and then you go do it, and it's like, ah, oh, that... That wasn't what I expected. Mm-hmm. I think all of us have been there. Sure, that's yeah. a very, very common micro disappointment, and it and it often happens early on in the interaction. Here's another example in the service business: something we're very aware of. And we talk a lot about is I have a sales team that is out in the field talking with our referral partners and clients and so forth, and they're really awesome. <laughs> and people that follow us online, like we have music videos that our sales team does. Like they're just very talented and they're very fun and friendly. And so if we're not careful, it's entirely possible that somebody will have an interaction with our salespeople that they're blown away by. Like, oh my gosh, we have to do business with Summit. Okay, well, that's definitely a, an outcome we love. But then if, if my production and operations team doesn't present a similar experience when they go to actually do business with us as they experience with our sales and marketing team, I've just created a micro disappointment. Mm-hmm. Right? How many of us have experienced that, right? We have a, uh, somebody we know, a parent on our kid's soccer team. We start talk, chatting about business or something, and we really like what they're saying. Like, man, this is a really great guy. And he you know, gives you my card. And, hey, next time you need a couch or whatever, you guys should come get it from our home furnishings place, whatever. And you're so impressed by that person, that first interaction with that brand is so good. And then you show up at that home furnishing store and next time you need a couch and you're like, well, gosh, the guy, John, that we met at the kids' soccer team game was so good. And then the first salesperson that you meet on the sales floor is pushy and kind of smarmy. You're like, oh, there's a micro disappointment. Yeah. yeah. So, Chris, are they all disappointments or are there micro events that are positive as well? Yeah, there are absolutely micro delights, I like to call them. Okay. Um, without a doubt. Uh I think, so where micro delights come in, so micro disappointments are, it's impossible to have a service experience that is free of micro disappointments because we're talking about people and people are complicated. Um, Not just on- Some more than others. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Not just on the delivery side, uh, but also on your team, uh, on on the customer side, people are complicated. and everybody also has different expectations. This is the hard thing about micro disappointments and why you can't be perfect at it is because as service executives, we never know exactly what our customer wants oftentimes until afterwards. We don't know what their expectation is of us in any particular scenario, often until after it's already happened. And so let me tell you where I think micro delights come in because you can go a whole bunch of different directions in creating micro delights. And there's all kinds of fun stories. So look, Google the Ritz-Carlton stories and you'll hear many examples of micro delights. Um, But let me give you an example when I was on property at one of my hotel customers. This was a really nice property uh, in a secondary market. I show up to stay at my customer's hotel. The next day I have a couple sales meetings at other hotels nearby. So I, I get in there at four or five o'clock in the evening. They have an on-site restaurant that is amazing. If you want to know which hotel I'm talking about, you can message me after the fact. <laughs> um, and so I check in, I have dinner, everything's awesome. But I'm kind of expecting everything to be awesome because this is a 200 plus ADR hotel that I'm staying at. And so I, it's meeting my expectations. And this is something I think a lot of times we as service executives, we forget. 
is that when people are paying a price for something, they have an expectation associated with what they're paying. Mm-hmm. And we don't know exactly what that expectation is. Because somebody who's staying at Ritz-Carlton paying five or $600 a night may actually have a very low expectation for their experience, or they may have an extremely high one. And likewise, you can see the same exact dynamic at a travel lodge. Mm-hmm. You may have somebody there that's spending 79 bucks to stay there for the night, and they may have a $150 expectation uh, versus some people are like, hey, I'm, I'm staying at a travel lodge. You know, it's like, yeah. right? And so, so, so you almost want to overshoot your, your service. To yes. Try and meet those expect- expectations. So. Because you don't know until after the fact. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the more important thing is, is to be aware and to coach and train your team to be aware of those signals that a micro disappointment has happened because then you're empowered to do something about it. So I'm staying there. And again, it's meeting my expectations. I'm thrilled, but I'm also paying a price that I feel like I should be thrilled. I go to bed. The next morning I wake up, I'm getting ready for my sales meetings and I realize I don't have any shaving cream. And those of you who can see me right here, I've got a full beard and you're like, okay, big deal. Well, yeah, you got to still got to keep the neck tidy, you know? So mm-hmm. I need to shave. And so what do you do when you don't have somebody in a hotel? You call the front desk. I call the front desk. Hey, no problem. I wait about seven or eight minutes. Somebody knocks on my door. It's one of the housekeeping staff and they've got a kit. I thank them, close the door. And it turns out, there's no razor in the kit. So I call back down to front desk and like, oh shoot, yeah. Uh, They send me a different kit. All in all, I waited almost 15 minutes to get that shaving kit. Now, was that a micro disappointment that happened? Um, I would say yes. And I would classify that as what I call a waiting micro event. It's the micro event of waiting. And the micro event of waiting happens in virtually every service delivery or there's potential for it, right? Again, because we don't know what that customer or guest expectation is until afterwards. So when they came up to my door uh, with the kit the second time, uh, unless they were trained to observe my body language, they would have never known if I was ticked off, frustrated, annoyed, anxious, uh, impatient, any of that stuff. And that whole micro event of me needing something and then having to wait for it as a guest could have just gone on unnoticed. And it ultimately may have generated a bad trip advisor review. And this is my client property, right? So the likelihood of me writing a bad trip advisor review is zero. Right. Uh, and so they never would have known. Mm-hmm. They never would have known. Now, I, because of my relationship with my clients, right, I sent a, an exhaustive, you know, experience summary to the GM. I try to deal with every single one of my hotel customers. Uh, But the average customer, they might not have even actually logged it in their own brain. But if there had been another like point of dissonance or another micro event that happened during that stay, the two or three small little subtle things may have ultimately culminated to cause them to write a tepid, Mediocre TripAdvisor three star review, sure. they, or a bad they, one. They all add up, definitely. So talking about, I mean, I think we understand what these micro events uh, do, disappointments, etc. But uh, what can hoteliers and restaurants do about that? Well, I think the the biggest thing is observation, right? Um, it's being present in the moment. So Ritz Carlton uses the phrase "radar on." antenna up all the time. And I witnessed it when I was on site uh, during that workshop. I saw it later on in standups that I would just passing by in the hallways. Radar on antenna up, right? Radar on is this spatial awareness. What's happening around me? And we've deployed this at Summit. It's a constant coaching item. What's going on around me? Who's here? Who's present? And what's happening in the room? Uh, and how can I potentially affect it or influence what's happening? Mm-hmm. So that's that's a constant refrain within the Ritz-Carlton culture. And the, and the antenna up is what communication is happening? What's being said uh, between myself? Like what's happening? It's almost being an observer of the situation you're involved in and the observer of other people as well. Communication has got to be key there. It's so mm-hmm. key. It's so key. But Ritz-Carlton also talks about the expressed and unexpressed needs and desires of their guests. That's high level thinking. And I wrote a blog post actually, I don't know, four or five years ago about the fact that customer experience or guest experience is no longer a frontline job. 
And I think for many, many, many years, we've thought of customer service people as sort of that inexpensive team member that's necessary, but they don't necessarily have to have a lot of experience. We'll train, you know, no experience necessary. And it's like, well, I think guest experience and customer experience has now been elevated to the point where it is the only differentiator really for many businesses now you know, with, with how easily people can share about their experiences, the experience you create is everything. It's everything. And so there is a, a level of emotional intelligence, I think, required to do it well, uh, that you really need to coach and train into your people from the bottom up, right? Mm-hmm. Those people that are sweeping in the lobby and doing day porter activities to your back of the house staff, uh, because it, It it not only affects the way we work with guests and customers, but that awareness requires that we're more present and aware as we're interacting with each other on the team. Um, So being having the antenna up is not just listening for what customers say, but observing and listening to interactions between other team members and guests, et cetera, et cetera. Because we we can't all possibly be on the ball at all times. Mm -hmm. And so the, the team aspect is listening for opportunities that maybe one of your other fellow team members is not aware of. Yeah. And I think it comes back to empowerment as well. I mean, uh, you know, you're, you're supporting your staff, uh, empowering them to take initiative sometimes to Mm -hmm. take that extra step and give that little bit of extra service. And when they feel that they have, you know, the ability to do that and can really, um, you know, be creative in how they can, um, up their, their service game. I think that's important. Yeah. So by example of the shaving kit, right? Some customers would get very upset about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'd been a business executive that I was pressed for time and it was going to make me late to a meeting and it was unacceptable for me to show up unshaven, right? Like there's this indignance that can build up, I think, in some customers. Uh, and again, that wasn't my situation, but using that same example, if I'd have been frustrated and upset and angry and anxious, uh, any of us can be trained and practice recognizing that. And so that housekeeping person, when they uh, came back to deliver the correct shaving kit to me, uh, if they were observant about my, my eyes, my facial expressions, if they got a hint that I was upset, they could take that back to their front desk manager, their director of rooms, and just say, hey, you know, Mr. Nordyke seemed a little upset about how long it took for us to get him the shaving kit. I don't know if there's anything we can do. And just that awareness then gives the director of rooms an opportunity to pull their team together and just say, hey, what do you guys think? You know, do you guys have any other intel on on Chris? Uh, they can talk to the food and beverage manager to see if I went to the on-site restaurant the night before and they could find out what kind of wine I ordered potentially for my ticket. There's so many different ways that you don't have to be a Ritz-Carlton with a 550 ADR mm-hmm. to, to come up with micro delights as a team that are affordable and fit within your property's um, model, right? There, there are a lot of inexpensive ways that you can create micro delights, and some of them don't even require money. Some of it could just be literally a handwritten note by the director of rooms, just acknowledging, hey, thank you so much for your patience earlier this morning with our little, uh, you know, the speed bump around the, the shaving kit. And that would have totally neutralized that micro disappointment for me. It could have been that simple. Yeah. Now an over the top thing might've been a bottle of the wine I had at dinner the previous night. <laughs> hey, Mr. Nordyke, we noticed that we, we kind of failed on getting you that shaving kit this morning. I hope we didn't make you late to the appointment. Here's a little bottle of wine for kicking back later on the evening when you get back. maybe a spa treatment later on. Yeah, right, right. So sure. when, when we train ourselves and our team to be alert and aware, to be present, to be conscious of their interactions with guests and customers, it gives us the opportunity when a disappointment inevitably happens to then collaborate with each other to intentionally create micro delights so that at the end of the whole thing, we can get an awesome TripAdvisor review, right? It's, it's not avoiding micro disappointments. It's being conscious and aware that they've happened, which gives you the opportunity to collaborate and create uh, micro delights. And micro delights don't require much conversation because it's like all of us know what's cool, what feels good, because we all 
have experiences that felt really good to us. Or yeah. you know in your head as a customer, how many of us have had micro disappointments or major disappointments? And in our head, we automatically go to what we feel like that business should do. What's the right thing to do? All of us have a keen awareness of that. And, and so do your team members and employees. They know what an awesome experience could be. Like we all know that. Yeah. But, but it takes practice and intentionality to spot and understand when a micro disappointment has happened. And communication. Oh, and a lot of communication. Mm -hmm. Lots of that. <laughs> well, speaking of that, uh, Chris, if people want to get in touch with you to talk more about micro disappointments and micro delights, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, engage with me on LinkedIn. I, I love connecting with people there and I get messages from folks a lot. Uh, it's just as good for me as email. Email is also Chris at summitclean.com. Um, and if you go to LinkedIn, actually my cell phone number is on my profile. And so you can reach out to me that way too. Great. Great. And we're also going to see you at the Orla Hospitality Conference, which is in Seaside this year on September 16th, 17th. We're working with you to put together a panel session on, I think, how to build a culture that remain, that retains your best talent and probably a lot more discussion on that. So, Well, I'm excited, you know, as I work with our customers, you know, restaurants and hoteliers, it and also just being in the service industry, everything is changing. It's getting really, really, really hard to recruit frontline staff and yeah. back of house people. And, uh, and so what I'm finding is our customers are having to do more with less. It's like, how do you do that? And I think it's forcing all of us to rethink how, what kind of culture we're creating and um, how do we recruit the right kind of people? And then what is their highest and best use? So if you're having to operate with 15% less staff, but you're having to provide the same level of experience. How do you do that? That's tough to do. And, yeah. and what, who should be doing what, right? It's that old, uh, is it Jim Collins wrote good to great. You know, he talks about this analogy of getting the right people on the bus. Mm -hmm. And then the second layer is getting them in the right seats on the bus, Right. you know? And so, yeah, I'm excited. Cause I think our panels, we're going to, we're going to dive into just several different areas in business. Like how do we, how do we adapt to this changing hospitality landscape, both as vendors, partners, and also as operators, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah going to be very valuable. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Well, we're going to take another quick break and we'll come back with the Advocacy Watch. People in Oregon care about food and wine. That's why we started Bitcork. Bitcork is a new type of wine distributor designed only for restaurants. With Bitcork's competitive pricing and no order minimums, we make ordering wine a breeze. Order on the Bitcork app and get your wine delivered same day, even on Saturday or Sunday. Payment by fintech or check on delivery. If you're in the Portland Metro and have an OLCC on-premise permit, go to bitcork.io to claim your restaurant, request samples, and find out more. Bitcork, helping restaurants buy artisan wine one bottle at a time. Welcome back. It's time for Advocacy Watch. This is where we boil down some of the local, state, and national government affairs issues that you should be aware of. And right now, plastics are big in the Oregon legislature. It is definitely a hot topic not just here in Portland, but uh, statewide. Yeah. So the Oregon Senate recently approved House Bill 2509, which would ban plastic checkout bags at stores and restaurants statewide starting next year. Uh, and in early June, the senators, Oregon senators approved Senate Bill 90, which prohibits stores and restaurants from giving out plastic straws to customers. Customers can still ask for one under the legislation, which also takes effect next year. Well, are there any exceptions? So there are. This just uh, covers plastic checkout bags, but the bags that you still get at the produce section or the meat section where you'd put your chicken thighs or something in there, those are still going to be okay to have. But just when you check out, you're not going to be able to, to have a plastic checkout bag anymore. Uh, you can bring reusable. Uh, they do have paper bags that would you'd be charged five cents for. They've started doing that in my hometown of Salem, for example. Um, and there was a third bill talking plastics, uh, House Bill 2883, uh, that would have prevented vendors from providing food to customers in polystyrene containers, but that failed in the Senate. And three Democrat senators joined all the 11 Republicans in opposition. So that one died this legislative session, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see it back. Orla has recently launched regional leadership teams in Central Oregon, the North Coast, and Southern Oregon, with plans for Eastern Oregon, the Willamette Valley, and the rest of the Oregon coast not far behind. Orla already has the Portland Kitchen Cabinet for restaurants and the Portland Lodging Alliance for lodging properties in the Portland metro area. 
Yeah, so we are going to be inviting members that want to get a little more active in their region. And if they want uh, to participate, uh, who do they call? So they're going to want to get in touch with Jason Brandt, Orla President and CEO at jbrandt at oregonrla.org. And the main purpose for these groups, Lori, as you mentioned, is uh, we need to have folks that are in those areas who are connecting with local elected officials, who are following along with the issues that are going to impact the hospitality industry, and uh, who are going to be advocates for us out in those areas when we need them. Yeah, that's a great opportunity. Finally, Orla recently presented at the OLCC Commissioner's Meeting on Cannabis Tourism and the challenges that our industry faces with OLCC licensees not being able to host cannabis events on site without giving up their OLCC license. Executive Director of OLCC Steve Marks clarified that licensees are not able to hold cannabis-related events as the agency has defined a licensee's entire property as being part of the license. Yeah, we've had uh, quite a few questions, you know, over the last several months from our members, restaurants and lodging operators about um, basically laws around cannabis uh, tourism, what they can do, what they can't do in their on their property there. So, yeah, marijuana continues to be uh, one of those issues that we're going to have to kind of grapple with over the next coming years as it's still so new that we're dealing with a lot of different things, as you mentioned, uh, Lori, the cannabis-related tourism, but also things like CBD, uh, whether it can be put into food and beverage and how that can be done legally. Um, and I know that uh, we have some interviews coming up with some folks from the OLCC and a paper that they're putting out that we're hoping to help distribute as well so people get the right information. Yeah, so in addition to the the guidance that's coming out from the OLCC, um, Members might also be interested in uh, checking out your Oregon Restaurant Lodging Association's magazine that's coming out uh, first week in July. And we actually have a feature story that we interview a couple of our members uh, sort of about what they're doing um, in the the world of cannabis and CBD-infused, you know, food and alcohol. Yeah. Well, at the beginning of July, you can get your Orla Summer Magazine and read it. And at the end of July, you can join us at the Orla Open. It's Orla's golf tournament presented by Liberty Mutual. It's going to be Monday, July 29th at Langdon Farms. All levels are welcome. You can get a foursome together. You can be a sponsor, donate prizes. But the big thing is you're supporting Orla's political action committee by participating And it helps raise the needed funds that we have to support candidates and elected officials who understand why business is so important to Oregon's economy and why we need to support the hospitality industry in particular. All right, as always, keep the emails coming to info at OregonRLA.org and let us know not only your government affairs questions, but also opinions and what's going on in your area. With that, I'd like to say thank you again to Chris Nordyke of Summit Cleaning and Restoration and to Lori Little, Orla Director of Communications, for joining me today. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs for Orla. Thanks for listening.